Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're once again putting a spotlight on inflation, which has been unusually high. But then, these are unusual times. Despite this, there are a number of reasons why inflation is almost certain to fall in the second half of 2022 in developed economies over what you'd consider the tactical investment horizon, whilst remaining above pre-pandemic levels. Today, we're joined by a good friend of this programme, Paul Donovan, to talk us through some of the dynamics. On the agenda, what's the impact of a normalisation in demand for products that saw a huge demand surge in 2021? How important is it to bear in mind that recent prices are being compared with lockdown prices from the same time last year? And what do wage costs tell us? If these remain largely contained, does it follow that assumptions about inflation falling in the second half are indeed safer to make? Well, let's put those questions, and a couple of others, to UBS Global Wealth Management Chief Economist Paul Donovan, who's once again on hand to provide us with a quick primer on inflation. Paul Donovan, welcome to the show. One thing I find quite interesting, and I know I was reading some remarks from your colleague Mark Hayfley as well about this recently, was this idea of looking at, you know, there obviously will be a recession at some point and looking at, you know, negative growth or what constitutes a recession and how that's problematic. Just on that point, because I guess the inflationary story does play into that to, to a degree. Is it important to think about whether or not we are headed for a recession and how long that time horizon is? It is important because you know, when we get something like a, a, a rapid oil price increase or a commodity shock like uh, like we've seen, essentially one of the consequences of, a, of an energy shock is that it is both uh, price inflationary, at least in the short term, and growth deflationary. It's what we call demand destruction. And so the question is, well, how bad does the growth story get? How low does growth go? And that's where you know, the focus on, on recession comes in. Now, it's important to note, you know, the word recession, there's, there's no formal economic definition that's sort of universally accepted. And there are problems with the word recession. So quite often people say, well, if you've got two quarters of negative growth, then that's a recession. But the trouble with that is that that means that Germany is always more likely to have two quarters negative growth than the United States because the German workforce is shrinking, whereas the US workforce is increasing. And that just naturally biases Germany to have a greater probability of negative growth. Most economists, I think, would probably settle on something like a prolonged period of below-trend growth as being the, the definition for you know, what would constitute a recession. We're not really seeing evidence of that come through in the major economies in the near term. It may be something that we have to be thinking about next year, depending on how the energy price shock plays out in terms of consumer demand and household budgets. Well, Paul, I wonder then if if we see that growth has slowed a little and it will slow further this year, as we imagine, even if it doesn't end up being a sustained period of, of significantly below trend growth, does it follow then looking at inflation that inflation sort of almost inevitably slows with growth? Is that uh, putting the cart before the horse? Generally speaking, it it should be slowing down as growth slows down. Now, we've got to be a little bit careful here because, of course, it is possible to imagine a circumstance where oil prices or food prices continue to rise because of 
supply constraints. So with oil prices, that would be the supply constraint presented by the war in Ukraine and the politics around that. So you could get oil or gas prices rising further. With food prices, it's the primarily, I would argue, the La Nina weather pattern aggravated by climate change, which means that, you know, we've got drought conditions in several key areas of the global economy, and that is restricting supply. So that could still raise certain prices. But generally speaking, if you are in a weaker growth environment, you're slowing the pace of demand. And what we've got to recognize, of course, is that that if we look at goods at the moment, the global supply of goods manufacturing output, it's an all-time record high. So if you start slowing demand when your supply is at an all-time record, that is generally going to have a depressing effect on prices. And so the question becomes, how much does demand slow? How much does the economy slow? And therefore, how much of that then feeds through into slower prices? And it's so the direction of travel is fairly clear. The extent to which inflation comes down, the extent to which prices slow is what is up for debate. Uh, Paul, one thing I find interesting is then if we sort of expect or plot that growth shouldn't fall that far below trend. One caveat that I know that you've made before is unless there's a significant policy error, and I'm intrigued as to what that might look like, is that this spectre that people have raised of the Fed, for example, overreacting to some of these pressures? So that would that would constitute a, a policy error, an overreaction on the part of the central bank, either through incompetence, you know, they just don't recognize the extent to which the slowdown is happening, or, and this perhaps is a little bit more likely, because the economic data is wrong in the short term, that you know, the economic data gives a misleading impression of what is going on because it's just not very good quality. And you know, only later, after you've revised the data, do you realize that actually the economy was slowing more than you thought and the, the central bank had therefore been raising interest rates on an illusion of growth that didn't actually exist. So uh, central banks are aware of the data quality problems, and they'll, they'll be very vigilant. And like most economists, you know, central bankers use very, very wide ranges of data uh, to try and get around some of these quality problems. But it's an issue that we have to be aware of. I think that, the, that generally speaking, central banks will avoid policy error overall. The UK is an interesting case where the central bank is raising rates and indeed has just raised rates in order to contain inflation. But it is actually predicting negative growth in, in the UK. And that is not coming because the central bank is raising rates. That's coming because the British government is engaged in the largest tax grab we've had since the 1950s. The tax take of GDP is you know, moving up very, very rapidly. And that combined with higher energy prices and the cost of living crisis is what's going to be depressing the UK economy. So it's a matter of debate as to whether one believes the UK government's fiscal policy is a policy error or not.
now, Paul, it's really interesting, of course, the impact, uh, the ongoing impact, of course, that the pandemic and all of the corollary volatility that's gone with that has had across the piece. One area I found really interesting, and I know I think I spoke to you not that long ago about how wage growth is not necessarily inflationary if people are being more productive. And it's this idea, if we look at output specifically, uh, across a lot of economies, output has returned, actually, or is even above pre-pandemic levels. But employment is still, in some cases, quite significantly below pre-pandemic levels. And obviously, of course, what that means is that people are, in essence, and to simplify slightly, working much harder to produce more. But again, it is this important point to underscore, isn't it, that if those fewer people are paid more, that's not necessarily raising absolute wage costs, nor is it necessarily inflationary. No, exactly. Uh, When we think about labour costs, what we're actually really interested in is how much do you pay somebody to produce a unit of output, whatever your unit of output is, because that's what matters when you're thinking about the costs of of your business. It's okay, well, if I'm producing 100 items, how much does it cost me to make a single item? And of course, if you are employing fewer people and they are working harder over time, then that is something which is going to be not particularly costly because you, you, you are getting more out of your workforce for the money that you pay them. And that's largely what we've been seeing around the world so far. We do have problems with the calculation of these numbers that unit labor cost data, which is what we're talking about here, or the productivity data, which is used in the calculation, is notoriously volatile. It's revised a lot and, and so on. But generally, when we take a step back and look at the world, you know, output is up, employment is down. That's telling you that, that people are working harder. And I'm all for paying you know, economists more money if economists are working harder. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Paul. And I, we, we, we support that notion as well, of course. Look, if we take all of these different factors into, into account then, I'm sure this is a question that clients and you must have discussions with colleagues all the time. You know, when and how and why, indeed, then, will inflation fall? If that is the base case that as we head through 22 and into 23, we think that it will. Is it partly to do with the fact that we've seen extraordinary economic consequences, some of which you've touched upon to the pandemic. And as we move through time, we move further from those extraordinary consequences and consequently stuff begins to normalise. Again, is that to crudely oversimplify or is that sort of what's happening? So that, that basically is, is one of the main reasons inflation will be coming down. It's also why the peak of inflation differs somewhat from country to country. That's what economists call the base effect. Because what we're going to remember is that the the inflation number that's most often quoted is the year-on-year change in prices. And the point about that, of course, is that if you're looking at a year-on-year change in prices, that tells you as much about what was happening 12 months ago as it does about what's happening to prices today. So pretty much everywhere around the world in February and March of this year, the year-on-year inflation rates of individual countries are comparing more or less normal economies in 2022 with lockdown economies in 2021. And of course, if you're comparing prices in a normal economy with prices in a lockdown economy, there's likely to be a pretty big change, and that is exactly what we've seen. But as we go forwards through this year in different countries at different times, as I've said, you'll start to compare normal prices in 2022 
with normal prices in 2021 as economies reopened and things got back to normal last year. And of course, when you're comparing normal to normal, the price change is likely to be less dramatic. In the United States, we've probably reached that point. The expectation is that the March inflation numbers in the United States will mark the peak of consumer price inflation in year-on-year terms. Um, We will start to see that rate coming down in April, May, and June data. Because again, the United States was starting to open up by the end of March. and By April, the economy was starting to get back to normal. And so that price change is going to look less. Uh, In the UK, there should be a peak in inflation in April. This is because of the way energy prices are calculated in the UK. So we get a peak. We may get another rise in inflation later this year. Again, this is largely because of the way energy prices are are calculated in the UK and the way they pass through to the consumer. It's a slightly more complicated situation. And Europe, May or June, you know, inflation is likely to come down. Though for some European countries, we're already starting to see the year-on-year inflation rate decline. And again, this this base effect is a very important part of the story. Uh, and Paul, just finally, I know that you know you're you're a keen student of history and the history of economics as much as you are of economics itself. And there is this thing to look at, which is often troubling or worrying in sustained periods of inflationary pressure, which is where we see immediate second round second round growth inflationary effects. It's a concept, or it would occasionally be expected to be a consequence of something like the energy price shock we've seen. It is telling, isn't it, that we're not seeing that at the moment. Is that? All, I mean, that's partly why there's a, a more optimistic picture, perhaps? It is. So that making sure that you're not getting wage costs rising, for example, that, that there is a limit to the ability to pass on costs. These are very important factors in preventing second round effects coming through. And that's why I don't think we get a sustained inflation problem. We've got to remember that that this is not the 1970s anymore. We've moved on considerably in the last half century. And when we did see significant second round effects and prolonged inflation in the 1970s, that was an era where governments interfered in the setting of wages and prices, where unions were extremely powerful and would negotiate wage increases for their members at the expense of the employment of non-members and and so on. And so you had a very, very different structure which allowed those second round effects to dominate. So far, we're not seeing significant second round effects. Central banks are going to be remaining very vigilant on this point to make sure that they don't come through. But overall, at the moment, the traditional second round effects do remain very subdued. And I don't see you know, the, the wage cost price spiral or other pricing elements coming through and creating significant problems. Paul Donovan there, bringing us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.